we're allowed to get excited on Easter and say amen. <laughs> I want to thank our band for doing a great job and leading us in praise. Amen. Yeah. So someone gave this to me in the, uh, in the nine o'clock. They said they were very excited about the sermon. Oh, come on. Aren't you, aren't you egg static? No. Oh, come on. Uh, you don't like the groaners? So I want to just say, uh, first of all, that today, uh, this Easter is already way better than last Easter. Amen? And, and here's why. <laughs> You're here. Because <laughs> last Easter, it was me and the camera and a couple of video people and the band. And I love them, and it's great, but I like it more when you are here. Amen? Amen? Yes. Have you ever noticed, though, that life sometimes has a way of sneaking up on you and slapping you upside the head? I'll tell you an example of this. A friend of mine lives in Houston, and they still have, in certain areas of Houston, they still have those traffic cameras. Remember we used to have those traffic cameras and we got rid of them in Corpus? Amen? Yeah, it's good. So the traffic camera, so he's driving through an intersection, and uh, the traffic camera goes off. He's sure he's going the speed limit, but it goes off, takes a picture. He can't believe it. So he's, he's kind of OCD. So he turns around, and he's going to go back through the traffic camera again. And this time, he's right on the speed limit, cruise control set to it, and the light goes off, flashes again. He cannot believe it. He loops around. Would anyone else do this? He loops around again, and he goes through it even slower, 10 miles slower than the speed limit, and the camera flashes again. He cannot believe it. He thinks, well, the camera must be malfunctioning, right? Must be malfunctioning. Four weeks later, four weeks later, he gets in the mail uh, three traffic fines for not wearing his seatbelt. <laughs> Speaking of seatbelts, the reason I started that is because seatbelts, when I was growing up, I always had the worst, worst seatbelt because it was the middle seat, right? Which seatbelt is mine? Which one is mine? I'm in a 1973 AMC station wagon, big yellow paint with fake brown paneling all over it, the grocery getter, the Brady Bunch mobile, everything you could call it. You could start it without a key. It was a horrible car. And of course, it's what I drove all through high school. When a girl went out with me, it was not for the car. <laughs> Trust me. And so I was the middle child. And as the middle child, you had to go to the middle seat right? How many of you like the middle seat? Anyone here? No. No, you don't like the middle seat. Let's talk about airplanes. There are window seat people on airplanes, and there are aisle seat people on airplanes, right? Window seat people, show me your hands. How many of you like the window seat? Okay, okay. That's not me. That's not me. That's Renee. But aisle seat people, show me your hands. How many of you? Look around. These are all the control freaks right here. <laughs> I want to be able to get up and go to the bathroom when I want to go. I want to... I want, I'm with you, control freaks. I'll see people, okay? And nobody likes the middle seat. One time, I got on a plane, three seats in a row. It was obvious to me, a husband and wife were sitting down. The husband and wife, they, they had, you know, they had the aisle and the window seat. And I said, hey, do you all want to trade? And they go, no. No, we don't want it to, because I was like, this is kind of weird. She likes window, he likes aisle. So there I am for a four and a half hour flight in between not two small people like this in the middle seat. But Renee, she loves the window seat. Oh, look at the pretty colors, yeah. Me, I'm an aisle person. Now, no one loves the middle. If I continued on and said, window seat, aisle seat, who's a middle seat person? How many of you like not having an armrest, huh? Yeah, nobody, nobody, nobody. The reality is the middle seat is the one we all 
dread. The middle of the back seat in the car is for this smallest person. It even has the hump. Remember the old cars had the hump in the middle? Yeah, you got to sit on the hump. That's, that's real comfortable. For our two-day trip from, from Nebraska to Pennsylvania to go see my family. Yeah, that's great, Dad. We love, we love two-day two trips in the car. Let me tell you something. There's nothing like family fights like on the way to church and two-day family trips. Isn't that right? Am I right? Ah, uh, Yes. We don't like the middle. Why? Because in the middle, to put it in a word, we feel stuck. When we're in the middle, we feel stuck. And that's true in a seat, and that's true also in a situation. No one wants to be in the middle or caught up in the middle of something, or it's the middle of the night. If you're lost in a car, not sure where you are, you're in the middle of nowhere. What did Bob Dylan sing? Come on, friends. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle. Yes, very good. You got to know your Bob Dylan, okay? When you're in a project, right? When you're in a project and you're trying to do something, the beginning is exciting. Yeah, this is what we're going to do. And, and the ending is a celebration, but it's in the middle. It's in the middle where things get bogged down, right? We're going to start this business. Oh, it's going to be great. Throw all the ideas on the whiteboard. Yeah, we're going to do this. We're going to have money. We're going to make an app that does this, and there'll be thousands of people that will love it, and we're going to write a song. We're just brainstorming. Anything goes, right? At the beginning, it's very, very exciting. But it's in the middle, right, where we got to we got to come up with money. It's in the middle that we got to make it an LLC. It's in the middle that we got to get the bank account. It's in the middle that we're like, oh my gosh, who's going to do all this work? Right? Who's going to take care of those details? In the middle, we feel like we're equally far from where we started out, but we're also far from where we're going to end. In the middle is when it's most tempting to give up. How many of you have ever been tempted to give up on something? Yeah. In the Bible, in the book of Nehemiah, they have a, they have a project. Who here has ever built a house or done a, been part of a construction project? Now, keep your hands up if it got finished early. <laughs> keep your hands up if it got finished late. In the book of Nehemiah, they, they're going to build a wall, and they're going to build it in 52 days. It's a record. It's a huge wall to keep bad people out. But what happens is, look at this passage. It's so amazing. They're, they're building this wall. And they get up to halfway. They get the halfway heart, uh, height at the halfway mark. And here's what the verse says. I love this in Nehemiah. Judah said, the strength of the laborers is falling and failing. There's so much rubbish, we're not able to build the wall. Now, what happened? They hit a slump right in the middle of building the wall where they've gone from, hey, this is the best idea we've ever had to this is so, so hard. And this is terrible to terrible. This is not even going to happen. We're not going to finish building the wall. And of course they did, but it was in the middle, they were tempted to give up, okay? Somebody say in the middle. All right. Okay, and that's what happens. And I, this happened to me and Renee yesterday. Beautiful day, Saturday. We had a little extra time in between trying to, to uh, replace all the dead plants in our yard from the big freeze. But uh, we decided we were going to clean out the garage. And I want to tell you, for the last 50 times that Renee and I have said, we're going to clean out the garage, we have a vision of what it's going to look like at the end. And so we start hauling all this stuff out into the middle of the driveway, right? And we got it all out. And even Zach, we had Zach. I had to pay him, but he's helping. He's sweeping. I had to pay him, Dad, I'm not doing this for free. All right. So uh, we're paying him. We're, we're sweeping. And then we get halfway through and there's crap all over the driveway. There's still crap in the garage. It looks like a craptastic everywhere. And finally, I just go like this, Ray. Let's just all, let's just 
put it all back in. Let's just shove it all back in the garage. We don't have to have the Facebook, Instagram pictures of the completed thing. Let's just forget it. We're done. We were stuck in the middle. You been there? So the garage is not clean. So if you want to come over, if anyone needs some community service hours, my garage is available. It's in the middle, though, that our fears can overtake us. One of the scariest moments that Jesus ever had with the disciples was they are in the boat on the storm in Sea of Galilee. And I love what the text says. The boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves for the wind was contrary. So it's right in the middle of the sea is where they have the worst storm. They think they're going to drown. They think they're going to die. And guess who shows up walking on the water? What's his name? Church, it starts with a J. Come on. It starts, it has an E and an S and a U and an S. Who is it? Jesus. Jesus. And that's exactly what happened here in the text that we read on the video, John chapter 20, resurrection day. It's in the evening, okay? The disciples were in the middle of it. They were afraid. They felt stuck. They didn't think anything was ever going to change the situation that Jesus was dead and, and lying in a tomb, and the text says they were all in one room with the doors locked. I guess you could say the disciples had a lot in common with everybody else, how we've all been in locked doors the last year and a half with COVID-19, okay? So they're locked away, locked into a pandemic we can't change. And the walls are creeping in, right? I talked to one homeschooler uh, mom the other day, and she said, you know what? I, I started off homeschooling during the pandemic. I thought it'd be no different, but it was basically two, two minutes of instruction and five hours of Disney Plus. That's how it went down. Okay, maybe you, you can relate. But the Greek is more emphatic. The Greek says the disciples were in a room and they had locked and barred the door shut. Now, why? Because... These disciples thought, hey, they crucified Jesus. The Roman authorities don't like us. They know that we hung out with Jesus. They're going to come in here with a SWAT team, right? The pilots got a SWAT team. They're going to come in here. They're going to kick down the doors. So they're barring the doors. They are hoping against hope something will change, but it's not going to change. They were afraid. They were afraid. I don't know if you ever read Andy Rooney. Andy Rooney's a guy that I grew up reading and used to listen to on the radio and the TV. He has a great book called Not That You Ask. And he has, in his book, he talks about a hundred things, a hundred opinions of his. For instance, he says things like, I don't like any music, I can't hum. I like that. And then he says, when I was younger, I'd always assumed that I would like carrots when I got older. It hasn't happened yet. If, unless there's ranch dressing, forget the carrots, right? Amen? Or this one, if dogs could talk, it would take a lot of the fun out of owning one. Amen? Yeah, that's what you like your dog. It doesn't say nothing. And, and Rooney also talks about, and I love this in the book, he says, the middle of the night, the middle of the night seems longer than it used to be. I don't know if you can relate to that. If you ever laid awake, mulling over a deep hurt or nagging worry, you know what he's talking about. The middle of the night can seem longer and longer. And it was the middle of the night for the disciples, they were in that locked room. J.B. Phillips in his translation puts it this way in verse 19. In the evening, the disciples were in a locked room. So that means it's dark. When it's dark, it's scary. When it's, it's foreboding, it's a dark night. They had left everything. They had placed all their hopes in Jesus. They had spent three years with this Jesus, and now he was dead. Now what do we do? We go back to our old careers. We hope the Romans don't kill us as well. And I think it's pretty epic that the disciples, in verse 10, 
uh, again, minus, minus Thomas, how many, how many disciples were there in that locked room? Come on, Bible students, how many were there? Thomas was not there, and who else was dead? Judas. So how many disciples were there? Ten. Ten. And that means they're abiding by CDC regulations, okay, right? It's a group of ten. I thought this was pretty funny. It was a group of ten. But when they added one, look at this. It's so funny. When they added one, they caught something. That's right. Because it goes by the CDC. When Jesus came in, come on, this is good stuff here. It was for me anyway. All right. Anyhow, it's in the Bible. When the ten became eleven, they all came down with something. And what they came down with was a spirit of calm. Somebody say spirit of calm. Word of calm. When Jesus comes in your room, right, Jesus is right in the middle. When Jesus comes right in the middle of your life, right in the middle of your divorce, right in the middle of your addiction battle, right in the middle of your grief, right in the middle of your life, there will be a sense of calm. And that's where he was. And Jesus chose intentionally to show up where they were, right in the middle of this fear, right in the middle of feeling stuck, right when they felt quarantined, when they felt locked up, when they felt like they couldn't get out. That's when he chose to come and show up. I love this. Jesus came, and notice this, the text says, he stood in the middle of them, right in the middle of them. They huddled up, and he appeared right in the middle of their circumstances and said, peace be with you. So one of the things Jesus gave was comfort. He was inserting himself right in the middle of their circumstances. So whatever you're going through right now, whatever has a death grip on your life, whatever despair, whatever is hopeless, that's where Jesus will be. He'll be right in the middle. Someone say right in the middle. Come on, get excited, friends. It's Easter. We're allowed to be a little excited here. (laughs) Okay. I really believe this is true, and this really is a word for our whole country, a word for each of us, that right in the middle of whatever we're facing, what we're going through, is where Jesus wants to show up, okay? And when he shows up, you can expect to be calm. You can expect to be calm. He will always calm you. I've told you this story before, maybe you've heard it, but, but 21 years ago, when Renee was pregnant with Jacob, the doctor came back, and the doctor said, oh, there's all these problems, and you know, Renee's older, and there's problems, and there could be a lot of problems, and there's correlational problems, and you should go ahead and abort the baby. And we were told to abort our son. And we said, wait a minute, we're not going to abort our son. Hold on. Let's go home and pray about it. And I prayed and I prayed and I prayed like I never prayed before. And the Holy Spirit came upon me and told me, everything's fine. You're having a son and his name is Jacob. That's what I want you to name him. God told me that as clear as I'm speaking to you right now, I heard it. You can think I'm crazy, nuts. I don't really care. But I heard it. And so I went back to Renee and said, hey, I've been talking to God. I want to tell you that we're having a son and everything's fine. She goes, that's great. I'm still talking to the doctor. But anyway, it's okay. (laughs) She wanted to talk. But we did not abort our our son, 21 years old, who's going to graduate next year from Texas A&M with a a degree in mechanical engineering. So I'm so glad that I listened to God and not a doctor who was practicing uh, medicine. Nothing against doctors. I think they're great and wonderful, but they are practicing, friends. And so right in the middle of our anxiety, right in the middle of, of a potential hopes and dreams being crushed, Jesus shows up and says, it's okay. And I was calmed, and I was at peace. And I swear to God, the week later when the doctor called, I answered the phone this way. I said, oh, yeah, we're having a boy. She goes, what, the nurse already called you? I said, no, I talked to God. She goes, oh, you're weird. (laughs) True story. Right in the middle. The The outcome of Jesus showing up is the disciples were calmed. First of all, by his presence, by his presence. 
And I want you to see that in the text, his presence, right? His literal presence showed up and it was the exact opposite of how they came in. When the disciples went into that room, they were afraid. They came in hunched over. They had their hoodies on. They were pulled tight. They were trying to hide. But they left that room. When the disciples left that room, they left different people. They left triumphant. They were bold. They went out comforted. Like a child that comes into your room in the middle of the night, scared because they had a bad dream or they heard a sound. What do you do? You let the kids sleep for a while and then you say, get back to your room. But they leave comforted. They leave calm because they've had time in your presence, right? That's what a kid wants when they're scared. I want the presence of mom and dad. I want the presence of my parents. In the same way, they wanted the presence of Jesus. And so he shows up and they leave changed. You read the book of Acts, which is just the early history of the book of actions of the church, you see Peter standing up boldly and preaching, and you see John standing up boldly and preaching, and they're preaching so well, people are like, aren't these fishermen from Ingleside? How did they get so smart? I mean, literally, that's what they say. These, who educated these people? How are they changed? I thought they were afraid. And they say, well, we're going to beat you. And so they beat Peter, and they beat John, and they, they hazed him, and they told him to quit preaching about Jesus. And they said, it's okay, you can keep on beating us. We take it as an honor to be beaten in Jesus' name, and we're going to keep on preaching. We respect you as authorities, but we're going to keep on preaching Jesus, and you're going to have to kill us. And I don't care how you, how you cut it, that's a different disciple, amen? Right? Any way you look at it, they came in hiding in a corner. Peter was denying Jesus, and they go out bold, and they come out, and they're completely composed. What was the difference? The difference was they've seen the risen Jesus. They've seen his presence is part of what makes it believable. Amen? They thought that when Jesus died on the cross, they were saying goodbye to the presence of Jesus. But when he rose, he showed that the resurrection is not just for eternity, but it's for here and now and today and his presence, right? It's not just a ticket to heaven. It's not salvation. It's also a, a salvation today, the abundant life. It's why Jesus said, hey, abundant life's right here. Take it. You can have it today, not just when you die. Amen? Amen. <laughs> so he showed us Jesus' presence will be with us in heaven, but also with us right now. Philip Yancey is a great writer. You ought to read Philip Yancey. He's got a great book called Prayer. And he talks about in this book about a friend of his, an attractive young woman named Joanna. And Joanna uh, has a prison ministry, and she's quite, quite successful. She is a woman of the Lord God has anointed her, and she goes into prisons, and she changes the culture of prisons. She brings a calm with her presence, and she changes prisons. In fact, the BBC, you can actually watch this on Netflix, they've done documentaries on her, on how amazing she is at bringing calm and God into prisons. And Philip Yancey asked her in the book, how are you doing? What are you doing that? And, and where is God? Where is Jesus? And she says these words, well, of course, Philip, God was already present in the prison. I just had to make him visible. Right? God is already here. What's lacking is our awareness. Okay? So we can't always see God, but even when we can't see him, he's still at work. Now, why would they be calmed by his presence? Well, because his presence unlocks peace. Because Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And what that means, he doesn't just give peace, he is peace. Okay, Jesus doesn't give us peace, he is peace. Hello? 
<laughs> now, we have to reframe our understanding of what peace is. We often think of peace as like the absence of trouble. But peace is not the absence of trouble. Peace is the presence of God. It's the very presence of God. So here's a sermon in a couple sentences. When there's a storm without, he will make peace within. I believe that. The world can create trouble and peace, but Jesus can create peace and trouble. And if Jesus is the Prince of Peace, he is present in any situation, and even in trouble, you can have peace. Even in grief, you can have peace. So right now, in the middle of this virus, in the middle of economic uncertainty, in the middle of unemployment fears, in the middle of, of $1.9 trillion stimulus, in the middle of all this, where is Jesus? Well, he's right here, right in the middle of it. And he offers you perfect peace. And so in growing close to Jesus, you're always going to grow closer to peace. You're always going to be calmed by his presence. Dwight L. Moody said it this way in a great sermon, a great many people are trying to make peace, but that's already been done. God has not left it for us to do. All we have to do is enter into it, right? That's why Jesus said, my peace I give to you, and I don't give to you as the world gives. So secondly, they were also calmed by his words. So his presence, just being there with him, right, like a child is comforted by the presence of his parents, it changed their demeanor, changed their situation, but they were also calmed by his words. He said to them, I give you peace, I give you peace. Peace be with you were the words out of his mouth. They were calmed by his words. Now, now get this, the circumstances didn't change. They were still very much in danger, and almost all of them except for Thomas would go on and die deaths for Jesus. Absolutely. So their greatest fears actually came to pass, but they no longer had reason to fear it. So that what they were facing didn't change, but the resources of, their, of Jesus' word in them changed it. Are you with me, church? Amen? All right. He gave them peace. And again, you know, sometimes people like throw the peace on, hey, peace, and we hope for no trials, and we hope for victory for you. But that's not what the biblical understanding of peace is. In the biblical understanding of the Middle East culture and the Jewish culture and the, the context of Jesus, it was shalom. And shalom uh, was a, a deeply rooted thing. And what it basically meant was God is the agent and, and giver of everything good. And may God give you every good gift. And may God give you every good thing. And may you be totally well spiritually and physically. And may you in every way receive God's goodness. And we can have that wash over us. And that can allow us to know that he's not only with us, but that he's for us. And he wants to give us every good thing. Like a, like a three-year-old, only a three-year-old can go to a king at three in the morning and ask for some cold water. We have that relationship with our Father. Hello? That's, that's what it is, okay? And, and so we can trust him, and we're calmed by his words. I want to tell you a, a true story, and this is a remarkable story. One of the privileges I have as a pastor is I get to celebrate great moments, uh, like baptisms. We're going to do a couple baptisms in both services next next Sunday. In the 9 and 11, I'm excited about that because that is a, a wonderful thing when you baptize a child and signify God reaching into that child's life and a parent's commitment. That's a great moment. I get to do weddings like, like David and Joy up here. They're just glowing with love because they're recently married, you know, so I can feel, I can't even look over here. I need sunglasses. They're so, so bright. So, you know, right, right, Dave, right? Dave, shake your head. Yes. Okay. Very good. All right. Still coaching them, you know, still working on them. But anyhow, 
But one of the other privileges that I get to do is I get to uh, participate in helping celebrate people's lives when their loved ones are gone. And it is a privilege. It is an honor. And one of the things that happens when you're a pastor like me is Seaside will call you up. And this is a family I didn't know. Uh, they don't go to church here. Uh, <clears throat> they're Catholic, but they don't really go to Catholic church, so they couldn't call the priest. So they call me. And it's a gun for hire funeral. That's the way it works. So I met with a young woman, and her name was Deborah. And she's young because she's 35. That's young, right? That's young. She's 35, and she was very close to her mother, and she lost her mother the same way I lost my mother, which was to cancer, uh, the, the, the greatest thief uh, uh, of all, right? The, the, the one that steals people and their time from us, uh, cancer. And her mother lived with her. Her mother was her number one fan. Um, she, her mother encouraged her. She uh, helped take care for her mother. She prepared meals for her mother. She um, did everything with her mother. They were very, very close. And um, she lost her mother. And so she said to me the entire time, her number one question is, you know, where's God in all this? I just can't believe this happened to me. And what now? And so she came, and we're, we're in the middle of the seaside. We're in the seaside chapel. She's on the front row on the right side from where I stand, and that's where the family's always at. She's up there, and I noticed that she's up there, and everyone else around her, her brothers and sisters, they have spouses, they have families, they have kids, they have someone there to support them when they leave the funeral, but Deborah was alone. And I thought, and my heart broke for her because she was alone. So in the middle of the service, she's quite upset, she's crying, she's visibly upset, and um, in the middle of the service, it's the strangest thing happens, is the back door's open. And in walks this gentleman, and he's obviously late, he's looking at his watch, and he kind of apologizes, you know, mouths it, you know, and he comes and sits down by Deborah, and I'm thinking, I don't know who this family member is, usually I meet all the family before the funeral, and I don't know who he is, and I see him having a conversation with Deborah, and, and, one of, and I asked Deborah later, what was he saying? And one of the things he kept saying is, why do they keep calling Mary by the name of Margaret? And Deborah told him, well... Because that was her name, Margaret, never Mary. No one called her Mary. And she wondered why this strange man, who she didn't even know, is interrupting her grief and her tears and is sitting down next to her in the middle of a funeral. And <laughs> so she, she, he kept saying, you know, uh, her name's this. And she said, no, that's not her name. And she finally, Deborah looked at the man and she said, sir, I believe you're at the wrong funeral. He was. He was at the wrong funeral. He was supposed to be at a funeral for his aunt. <laughs> so Deborah tells him that. And I, have you ever laughed at the wrong time in the wrong place? <laughs> so she starts giggling and he starts laughing. And pretty soon they are just, I mean, side rolling in the pew <laughs> laughing. And everybody's like, Oh, she's so full of grief, she's laughing. What is wrong with her? And people are looking at me funny, and I'm like, I'm just going to keep on rolling because I'm, you know, I'm, I got paid. I got to do this, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I got to just keep on rolling through this. Whatever they're doing is what they're doing. So I just keep on going. So after the service, they get up and they leave, and I am talking to Deborah at the little wake time, the after time. 
and I'm introduced to a guy named Rick who showed up for his aunt's service, and he was still there. He just decided to go to the wake as well, <laughs> which was really funny to me. So he's at the wake, they're having a good time, and what have you. And so uh, about a week later, uh, Deborah called me and said, hey, that guy Rick asked me out for a cup of coffee. Should I go? And I said, hell yes. <laughs> you should go. And so she went. And now, now this is years ago. It was four years ago. So then, so then she called me up uh, about a year later and she said, hey, guess what? You'll never believe this. Rick and I are engaged. Would you do the wedding? <laughs> so, so that is so cool. Now, they met because he went to the wrong funeral. They met because Jesus showed up and told them to go to the wrong funeral. When I conducted their wedding, they did both show up at the same time, which is good. And I got an email uh, in February from Deborah, and I keep certain emails, you know. Some emails I delete, some emails I keep forever. And one of them was this. This is what she wrote. In my time of sorrow, God gave me laughter. In my place of loneliness, God gave me love. Jesus showed up at my funeral. This past February, we celebrated our second wedding anniversary. I love that email. I think that's awesome because right in the middle of her grief, Jesus showed up. And, and now this is interesting. If you look at verse 20, the text actually tells us the disciples saw his wounds. He showed them his hands and his feet, and the disciples were glad. Now, they were calmed by his presence. They were calmed and changed by his words. But the text actually says they had exultant joy when they saw his wounds. They had joy. Why would his wounds comfort them and give them joy? For one thing, it gave them confidence that this really is Jesus. This is really him. Look at the nails in his hands. Look at the spear in his side. Look at the nails in his feet. So it, it was really him. They were convinced. And Jesus said things like this, handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see, okay? And that same passage, he says, hey guys, we didn't read this, but in the same passage, if you keep reading it, he says, hey guys, give me something to eat. You ever seen a spirit eat? You ever see, you know, you know like you ever seen the Disney movie with the bones and, I ah, forget it. Anyhow. <laughs> oh, no. Nine o'clock is like, what's Disney? What is Disney? Is that Walt Disney? <laughs> it was just like, Whoa. okay, anyway. So what we need you to understand is he was actually proven he was actually risen. And some of our greatest fears is that death is the end. Some of our greatest fears is that when we lose someone that we love, I'm never going to see them again. Right? And that we ourselves are going to a grave one day, right? And that the great fear of that life would be over. But Jesus is saying, look, look how I came through on the other side. And guess what? You're going to come through on the other side. And everybody you love in Christ is going to come through on the other side. And Jesus is still Jesus himself, right? He's got the wounds. And you're still going to be yourself. And I'm still going to be myself. And that's a good thing, right? That's supposed to give us comfort, what peace you're dealing with, right, when you're facing death. And this is amazing to me. Now, I'm going to share this. I didn't share this at the nine, and what the heck? I don't have another service after this, right? <laughs> so anyhow, I want to share this with you because this is an amazing dream. And again, you can call me crazy and think I'm goofy, and I really don't care. Uh, I really, I don't care. I I'm beyond caring, seriously. <laughs> 27 years in ministry, I care about what God thinks. That's it. But I want to share this story because this is from God. Now, I lost my mother uh, two years ago uh, in July. It was the worst day of my life, July 27th. And if you know anything about my mom, my mom played organ and piano for 70 years 
in the church. Started at seven years old playing for the Sunday night service when she wasn't good enough to play for the morning, but they said, you can play in the night, you know, play in the night service. There's just a few faithful people that come, right? So she started there and played for years, and I got the joy of doing weddings and funerals with her, and it was great, it was fantastic, it was amazing. So I had this dream, and you know how you have certain dreams where you're like, you're, you're, you're watching the dream, and it's just kind of unfolding, and then you have other dreams where it's really like you're in the, you're in the dream. Are you with me? So I'm in the dream, and there's my mom, and she's 28, and I'm in heaven, and I'm like, Mom, am I dead? She's like, no, you're just visiting, and I'm like, oh, this is so cool. Because this is actually the second time this has happened. I actually got to re- visit Ronnie Walters. Now you think I'm really weird. I know. I don't care. <laughs> Anyhow, so my mom is playing this huge piano. It's the biggest piano I've ever seen. And I'm like, and she's 28. And I'm like, Mom, you look fantastic. What is it? She goes, well, we're giving these bodies. They're, they're amazing. But my mom was still my mom. I still recognized her. Still knew who she was. She was gorgeous. 28. I was like, wow, you're stunning. You look amazing. And she's like, you'll get a new body too awesome. I really want a new one. And then I told Renee this, and she's like, well, do I get a picket? Her and Channing Tatum. Anyhow, whatever. So, so my mom, so I said, mom, what do you do in heaven? What do you do? In heaven? She goes, well, I play. I play for God, just like I did when I was on earth. Because it says, even says in the Bible, music is the one thing that you have on earth and in heaven says that in the Bible. Look it up. You can, I'll show you the passage. So my mom sits down and plays. It's this huge piano. It's as big as the stage. She's just running up and down playing it. I'm like, oh my gosh, I've never seen you run and play. She looked like a Pentecostal on the piano. It was amazing. <laughs> so she's playing it. And, I, and I'm like, mom, what song is this? She turns to me. She says, I want you to tell Renee. This is the composer. And here's the song. The song is called Love Came Down. It's a little unknown and it's in a cantata, but look it up and wake Renee up and you'll know this dream was for real. So at three in the morning, I woke up Renee. She's like, what? What do you want? Go back to bed. You're such a weird preacher. I'm like, no, no, seriously. I just had this dream. We got to, so we go over to Google and we look up the song, Love Came Down. It's in this little unknown cantata and you can print out a page for free without paying for it. So we're cheap. So we print out the first page. I said, play it, play it. I need to hear it. I need to make sure that's what my mom just played for me. Cause I had never heard that song before Love Came Down. And Renee played that song for me. And I took me to tell you, I was in heaven and I got to see my mom and she was 28 and she was still who she was and death had not claimed her. And this is what we believe as Christians. Hello? Hello? And I don't care if you think I'm weird because I love my mom. Do I need to go see my mom's grave in the graveyard? No, I, God takes me to my mom in heaven. Praise the Lord. And if you have lost a loved one and you ever get a visit in heaven, you, you'll know what I'm talking about. Okay, Whatever. I know some of you are like, oh my gosh, what kind of Easter servant is this? (laughs) Walking in the middle of a storm is what, you know, let's think about his wounds. The wounds, the wounds, the wounds, the wounds. When Jesus showed his wounds to them, he was saying, hey, look, it's not what you do for me. It's what I've done for you. It's what I've done for you. He did not show up. Jesus did not show up and say to Peter, hey, uh, what's your memory verse of the week? Hey, how many of the Ten Commandments do you know, Peter? I'm thinking about lying, right? How about that one? Yeah. He didn't say, what are the Beatitudes from the Sermon on the Mount? He just showed up and said, here's my wounds. Know who I am. And walking in the middle of the storm with peace is not about what you do for Jesus. It's about what Jesus has done for you. And when Jesus shows him his wounds, he's saying, this is what I've done for you. It's not about what you do for me. Amen? All right. And then finally, they were calmed by his mission. So after they were calmed by his presence and by his peace and by his words, 
and by his wounds. They were calmed by his mission. And that mission was this. This is what Jesus said. As the Father has sent me, so what? I send you, right? And the word send here is a diplomatic phrase. It's not like UPS is sending me a package. That's an errand. It is like you're being sent from the king. You're being sent on a royal mission from God above. You're part of a new kingdom, and you get to do that. And as the Father has sent me, so I send you. So peace to you. And Jesus repeats himself in verse 21. So he said to them again, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I send you. Where does he send them? Out into the world. Out in the world that's hurting. Out in the world that needs hope. Out in the world that needs to hear the good news. Out in the world that needs to know that there's forgiveness. Out in the world that says you don't have to live like a resentful, grudging person. You can be a forgiving, generous person. Hello? I remember I went to a ministry workshop in Denver two years ago for vital congregations, and it was talking about how to revitalize your church. And we went to different kinds of services. And one of the services we went to was a Pentecostal Holy Roller service, where they are jumping and shouting, and after every line in the sermon, there's a drummer that's doing a beat, and the organ's doing the note, bonk. And it's the coolest thing if you've ever preached like that. I have. I preached at a couple African-American churches, and it was so much fun. I loved it. Absolutely. Because I never had to say, can I get an amen? Now, what I didn't like, what I didn't like was when they started saying things like, help them, Lord, help them, Lord. I'm like, what? What does that mean? You don't like the sermon? Anyhow. Anyhow, we're in this jumping and shouting service, and they're just jumping and shouting. People are going crazy, and it's just like, woo-hoo-hoo. And they had this old African-American grandma that was there, and I kind of befriended myself with her, and I was talking to her. She's like the Avril Walters of the church. She's the mama bear of the church. I could just tell. And I just said to her, I asked her a question. I said, do you think all this jumping and shouting means the Holy Spirit's here? Do you think it means that God's presence is here? And I'll never forget her answer. She goes, honey. She called me honey. Honey, it don't matter how high they jump. It's what they do when they come down will tell you if it's a real thing. Hello? I love that. Jesus didn't just speak peace as he sent them. The text actually says Jesus breathed on them. He breathed on them. Okay? And he said, receive the Spirit. And that same Spirit that's able to come upon us as we receive power to be sent, we receive power to see situations and circumstances and sickness differently. We, we see our lives differently. We get the breath of God within us. And here's what I want you to pay attention. Please pay attention. Say amen. amen. All right, because this is so, this is the key here. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead has been given to his followers to do all that we've been called to do as we're sent in the world to our homes and our situations. As we receive the breath of God, we can actually go out and live as the children of God. And the word breathe here is really, really important in the Gospel of John because you're going to see the Old Testament and the New Testament come together. And here we go. Jesus breathed on them. It's the same word in Genesis chapter 2 for breath. Chapter 2, Genesis, verse 7, God breathed into Adam. The same exact word for God breathing into Adam that Jesus used for breathing into the disciples. Now, why is this important? Well, because we're going to come together here, Old Testament, New Testament. Here we go. Genesis 2 says in creation story, God formed man out of the dust of the earth, and he breathed into his nostrils, and then man became a living being because of God's breath. For just as that took place to the first Adam, the New Testament tells us Jesus is the second Adam. He is the great Adam. He's the Adam 2.0. He's the Adam upgrade. He's the Adam new and improved. Where Adam failed in the garden, Jesus succeeded in the garden. In the garden of Gethsemane, what happened? Jesus fell on that ground and he 
bled, sweat, blood, and tears as he pondered and knew what was coming to him. Five hours of suffering and, and being humiliated and being naked and having people mock him and spit on him. And, and all of that he knew was coming. And yet in that Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus said, God, if there's any other way, but no, I will do it what you want, God. Jesus, the second Adam, did not fail. And Adam, the second, did not falter. And because of what happened in that second garden, he was able to send out his spirit for all of us, not just to be alive, but to be alive in Christ and filled with power and do what we can't do on our own. This is where we get excited. The first Adam... His failure took place when he and his wife took down forbidden fruit from a tree. Don't touch that tree. There's 3,000 trees, but which one do they touch? The one tree that God said not to touch from that tree. But our second Adam, who's even now breathing on people and breathing through the internet and breathing his spirit. The second Adam, his greatest victory came because of what happened on a tree. And John 19 says, they crucified him. And John 19 says, they crucified him. And where was Jesus crucified? But right in the middle of two criminals. And right in the middle, he's right in his rightful spot. Right in the middle, it's because of what Jesus did. Right in the middle of those two criminals who, who deserved to die, as he died right there in our place, in the center so that our sins could be forgiven, he was right with God because he hung right in the middle. Hello? He's always right in the middle of wherever you're facing. Even in grief, even in death, Jesus is right in the middle. He shows up at funerals. He shows up when the doctor has bad news. He shows up whatever you're facing. Where's Jesus? He's always right in the middle. He is risen. He's here today. And so I just want to pray, and we're going to have communion in a minute, but I'm going to ask, and I'm just going to pray that the Holy Spirit would breathe upon you today. And if, you'll, if this message is one you're receiving, I'm going to ask you to pray. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands because I know you're like, we ain't holy rollers. But anyway, just open your palms up like this as we pray. And this is an ancient way of receiving God's spirit. So let's pray. God of grace, we ask that you breathe out your Holy Spirit on each of us today. We know that you're in this very room, Jesus. So breathe upon us your power. Quarantine can't keep you out, Jesus. Locked doors can't keep you out. Barred doors can't keep you out. There's nothing that can keep you out. Our mistakes, our sins, our divorces, our addiction, nothing stops you, God, from coming right in the middle of our lives, right where we need you. And so let us receive you. And let us be calm. And let us receive your presence. And let us be comforted by your wounds that show what you, what you have done for us. And let us be encouraged, Lord, as we are sent out into this world with the power to do that only comes from you, the power to forgive, the power to put down the bottle, the power to become generous, the power to become loving, the power to become who you created us to be. All those things, Lord, we get from you. So we thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done. And we thank you, God, for raising him from the dead and showing us that death and despair never have the last word, but your resurrection power does. So, Father, help us to receive the very breath that you place in our souls and our hearts. 
And we give thanks. That on the night that Jesus gave himself up for us, he took bread and he served even one who would betray him and Judas. And he served even one who would deny him and Peter. And he broke that bread as I encourage you to break your bread now. And he said, take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And when their supper was over and he gave thanks to God after each part of the meal, as they did, he poured out into the cup and said, take and drink. This is my blood poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. So let us take now and drink the cup of forgiveness. And Father, we pray that you bless these elements, the body and the blood. May they be for us, the body and blood of Christ, that we might live in this world as the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood and empowered with your power. And we pray all these things in the name of Christ who taught us as we say now together, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not in temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us at Grace Presbyterian Church. We hope and we trust that this message was a blessing and gave you much encouragement as you face today. At Grace Presbyterian Church, we are a church family that welcomes everyone who welcomes everyone. And we would love to welcome you. So please join us either online or in person. You'll find a community that loves God and loves each other. And we are blessed by other people joining us. So please come and join us at Grace Presbyterian Church.